Beyond Hood and Evil folks. We're your host. I'm Mike. That's Chris. What's up? That was good this time, Chris. That was that, that was better. That <laughs> I know, man. Better. I caught, caught the rhythm. You know what I'm saying? I was in the rhythm. You know, I caught it. Survived. Yeah, caught it. Caught the rhythm, bro. Yo, so what are we getting into today? Man, um, we I finally watched Beyond. Um, for Beyond Hood and Evil, you know, we watched uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. So I think that's going to be the the hood mm. of it because that jank was crazy. Mm. Uh, f- for the evil of it, we got to talk about Black History Month because... Oh, you know, we I just feel like there's some things going on there. And then we got for the beyond of it, we could talk about uh mentorship in the black community if we can get there, you know, in our time. So yeah, I think that's like what we're that. gonna talk about today. Yeah. I like that. So you wanna run with it with Judas? Yeah, we can start off with Judas and the Black Messiah movie was right fire. It's Lakeith Stanfield's um tour de force, you know. He really went in there and just played himself <laughs> into oblivion, you know what I mean? Like just <laughs> They perfectly cast that role. Like to to me, Lakeith Stansfield, if y'all if anybody watch anime or read um manga or whatever, you know about L, the dude from Death Note. And he's and L is like a really reserved, slimy character. And that's what Lakeith is in this movie. You know, I'm not trying to do no spoilers or nothing like that. But in the movie, he's just a real scumbag. He do, he's everything. He's he okay, how can I say he's the white man's dream. If that's the best way to put it. Mm. He's a white man's dream, a, a down brother who's willing to sell out the people. And that's exactly what the movie's about. And it, and it, it really emphasized the idea of it be your own folks. Like, that's exactly what that movie's about, it be your own folks. Mm-hmm. So the movie was excellent. I think that uh, David Cthulhu, or how you, Cthulhu, Ch- Chalupa, I don't know how to say his last name. <laughs> Keep moving. Um, <laughs> David, David Tapatio, he, uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, he killed that role. He killed that role. Um, honestly, like he, but he bodied that joint. Like <laughs> he, he had the accent, he had the mannerisms, he had the face, like his whole energy is like, he transformed, um, he just transformed into Fred Hampton. And I think that's, he kind of carried that movie almost just with his, range of how he was able to command language and how he was able to command emotion and elicit that reaction from the crowd. You know, everybody actors, mm-hmm. but sometimes you watch certain actors and they just transcend the idea of being an actor. They tra- they turn into that person, like they become that person. So mm-hmm. I think he really did. He crushed that role. They had the lady from the movie with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, when she, what, what it was about superpowers or something like that. I forget what it's called, but okay. she was in it too. Talk about Dominic Fishback? That's her name? Dominique Fishback. That's a crazy name. Um, but yes, that's a that's a she should change her. She needs to she need a stage name. Uh but <laughs> that's a crazy name. I'm not I'm, who with Dominique Fishback and Lovers in Paradise. Like I'm not watching Dominique Fishback in anything. But she needs to go by Dominique F. You know, Dominique <laughs> back. You know what I'm saying? Maybe put the little accent on it, like Dominic, Dominic Fishback or something like that. Yeah, that would sound hard because that's sound a little foreign, you know? You got to throw an E in there, like, you know. Something, anyway. something. A little, the little, yeah, I put the little, uh, the old, the, um, the Beowulf letters in there, the little old English letters in there so that she sounds a little fancy. But she was excellent in that too, you know? And I, I like her a lot. She has a really um, personable personality on screen. Like, she just come across somebody who's genuine. It was dope. The rest of the movie was just fire. Like everybody who was in it, they had a lot of black actors in that movie. Kind of like we talked about, it was is a black exploitation film, a hundred thousand percent. The only thing I could think about though, I kept thinking about though, is that he's playing Fred Hampton, and I almost, I'm almost so sure he's the same dude that said he didn't want to play black characters. 
and I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, he said that back when Get Out came out, like a little bit after the success of Get Out. And I remember people was killing Daniel online for saying that. It's like, bro, you like the blackest dude in the world. Like you should be proud that you could play these powerful characters and be so believable. But he was talking about how in the facets and the act that he didn't want to just be pigeonholed and playing black people. And it was like, and a lot of the internet was just like taken aback by that. It's like, bro, you just got here and you talking about how you don't want to play black people. Like you, it's over for you, son, it's over. But now he came mm-hmm. back and his friend had the movie and you know how black people are. You do your, you drop your great album. We forget about all that, but you know, I ain't forget. You know what I'm saying? I ain't forget. So keep that same energy. He's like, nah, thanks for, <laughs> you did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it was super dope. It was a good movie, man. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Yeah, so I watched it with the boo, and I was really excited to watch it. You know, after we had the conversation, because I had seen all the commercials for it, and you know, promo videos were heat. You know, yeah. they were fire, Chris. So yeah. I, I was I was attracted to it. Me and the boo, we sat down, we watched it, and we started at about like seven o'clock. Had no idea that this was a two-hour film, right? <laughs> and we were just we were halfway through it. We were like, oh, this is good. And if you know the history, you know where it's going. Yeah, but you don't know what they're going to skip over, what they're going to fast track, you know, any of that stuff. So we halfway through it and we check and we say, damn, we got another hour. But it was good though. It was good yeah. though. So so we went through it. And I think anybody listening to this, if you have not watched Judas and the Black Messiah, watch that joint. Like, got to. You, you got to watch it. Um, yeah. If you know the story of Fred Hampton, watch it. If you don't know the story of Fred Hampton and what happened to him, absolutely watch it. If you still have any confusion around what people are talking about as it relates to race relations <laughs> and activism, civil rights, justice, the harmful activities of the government to perpetuate things, watch the film. It, it makes it very clear. And I like the way that they kind of told the line of being able to paint all the pictures, right? Mm-hmm. Paint the picture of our government and their influence in our Black communities, right? They, yeah definitely talked about how black people play a role in our own demise, mm-hmm. right? And they talk about the interconnectedness of that and the power of community, right? The power of mm-hmm. voice and creating family between distinct parts, like the way Fred Hampton was able to bring folks together using the language that he did, you could just tell that it's a stark difference from the way other groups like the KKK and the language they use to bring people together. It's just, you know, it's it was just... It was dope. And to take a step back from that, the acting, I thought that was spot on. You know, I'm, you know how I feel about Lakeith, man. You know how yeah. I feel. Yeah. Um, he's a solid actor. You know, he's doing he's his dope. thing. He's yeah. a solid actor. He's doing his thing. But I will say I was way more impressed with his acting at the end of the film, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, so without getting too much into spoiler alerts, when you know about William O'Neill, I think it helps drive home Lakeith's role, mm-hmm. right? Because there's some points in there where I'm like, mm, and then, you know, when you learn a little bit about uh, when you learn a little bit more about William O'Neill, the guy he's playing, you're like, okay, this is this is this is pretty spot on. I think the wildest part about the movie is it is a movie that could not have come out in the nineties. Why do you think that? Because it would it would have hit too close to home. And I think that in the nineties people was more about the rah-rah stuff. It's no way you're gonna have a movie showing how you burned down a building, shot and murdered black people <laughs> in Chicago in the nineties and not have black people on somebody's head, like, no, nah, you, we not letting this go. But today, I feel like this movie came out at the perfect time because everybody's an advocate. Nobody's really about that action. Nobody's really willing to put their life on the line like and really give it up 
for what they believe in, if that makes sense. Um, That's interesting. Hmm. It's a bit of a messier take, but I think it's true. Because what we talked about, as we talked about last week, I believe, um, it was about how people, advocacy groups only exist to perpetuate issues. They don't exist mm-hmm. to solve issues. And the same thing could be said in the movie. Like, they talk about Fred Hampton's ascent into being that icon through listen to the, listening to people like Malcolm X and how his it's about the way you use your language to inspire people as opposed to enrage people. You know, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Because some people mm-hmm. use language just to outrage and to, to 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 fan the flame, while some people don't use that, don't use language to fan the flame. They use that language to extinguish the flame, but to harden the individual. So mm-hmm. he's, his language was, you. he used language in a way to harden you against like the subversive nature of like white supremacy in America, as opposed to just being like, you're angry, right? You want to do something mm-hmm. about it, right? Let's do something about it. Make sure you go out and do these things. It was like, nah, if you're angry, come join me and I'm going to train you on how to use your anger so you can empower yourself so that you can mm-hmm. make sure this don't happen to nobody. It's like, oh yeah, that's totally, those are two totally different things. The movie was excellent, but I think it came out at the right time. Um, I wish that it, if it came out in the nineties or I had an idea who would be cast, they had a dude from Terminator 2 that blew himself up um, oh. in the building. He would be um, Wild Bill because he looked just like the real dude in real life. Like whatever his, what's his name? William O'Neill or whatever. He looked just like that dude in real life. Like that's how that dude looked. The dude from Terminator 2 that blew himself up when he's breathing with the bomb in his hand. I don't know his Come name. He's a, I think his name is Joe Morton. Yeah, he yeah. looked just like him. He looked just like him. And then Fred, Fred, Ham- Fred Hampton would probably be, uh, what's his name? Keith David, um, the actor Keith David. He play on um, Greenleaf now. He talks like this, really smooth, really fast. Like I think that would be the dude they would probably try to cast as him because you know how he had that same type of energy to him, you know that that jiggy energy, and he's able to be really pointed when he wants to be, and he talks really fast, just like a person from Chicago. So it's like it was cool. Like I think that would be the movie they cast it, and uh, yeah, man, that was just a lot. Movie was dope. Yeah, dude. And though, first of all, the Keith David joint, that's my man's from ATL. Right, he was pops, new news pops. Who? Nah. Keith David, the actor? Yeah, no, no. Was he not the dad in ATL? No, that's somebody else. Oh, he might have been. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. No, I thought you meant he in Greenleaf. He in Greenleaf now. He a priest in in Greenleaf, the movie, the show Greenleaf. And Greenleaf is a a TV show? It's on Netflix. It's one of the Uh, most watched shows. So so are you suggesting that I watch the show? I'm so, I'm not suggesting you watch it. I don't think you'll be into it. It's about the black church. I'm just being honest. I don't think it'd be something you're super into. <laughs> I had a friend suggest it to me. Uh, she had suggested it. Yeah, we watched it. We were watching it together for a bit, but then I mm-hmm. kind of fell off. I was like, mm, I'm not into this. Nah, then it gets, it just started being a little too. What, what kind of film is it? Is it like a, I mean, it's what kind of film. TV show? Uh, what kind of TV it's show is it? I believe it was on the OWN Network one. So that's the okay. first red flag for me, because own is like, <laughs> own is like black oxygen. If you're if you're a guy on own, you're trash, you're garbage, and <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that. They always got these things that perpetuate these negative stereotypes about men. It's it's on own. It's funded with Oprah. Um, they have a lot of great actors in it. Am I be honest? Mm-hmm. You know, but it's just a procedural black drama in a way. Um, it's about the church and the inner workings of the black church, specifically the black mega church in the South and how mm. those, the politics of the church can almost supersede 
the need to edify people. And that's been one of my issues with black mega churches since I was a little kid. I told you the story how I went to church. Me and my brother was hungry. We ain't had nothing to do. It was a Sunday afternoon. You know, we just woke up and was like, man, you want to go to the church? Because our grandmother always talked about religion. My grandmother was a religious person. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom, she not, my mother is not. <laughs> so I was, we was like, yeah, I guess there's something to do. So we, it's eight o'clock in the morning. We woke up, put on some jeans, some t-shirts. They not, they dirty. They not clean. So we not clean. You know, we just, and we ate a bowl of oatmeal because that's all we had to eat. So we ate some oatmeal, popped it in the microwave. As soon as we finished the oatmeal, threw some water on our face, walked down the street. So the, it's three, it's like, this might be five churches within a block of my house, which is wild. Ridiculous. <laughs> so it's a church on the left side of the street. I never been there. I only ever seen people have funerals there and it's an all white church. Like the church itself is white, not the people, but the church, all the bricks are white, the stones are okay. white, the windows are white, everything's white. Then if you go a little bit further, there's a Southern sweat box church. The church is a sweat box. Like it's one of them, oh, yes, Lord. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, praise some type churches, you know. Um, I, I believe that's a Baptist church. And it's a, it's on the top of a hill. And then on the right side of the street, directly across from that, that sweatbox church is Matthew's Memorial, which used to be uh, a more, it was like the refined church in the area. Like all the ritzy people mm-hmm. would go there, you know, but it Think was still like a, it was a little bit older though. Like, mm-hmm. so they, and when, by the time me and my brother was born or whatever, the, the door front was booming. The door front mm-hmm. was booming. So they built a whole new compound for the church. So it's a mega church now. Like it's in the Southeast, it's like a, a low key is a mega church. Like it's mm-hmm. a state of the art, stained glass windows, community room, lunch cafeteria Southeast room, office, yeah. all this other stuff. Like it was bugged out. Like when they was building, I remember we used to be walking to school every day watching like, yo, this is crazy. They building a building in our neighborhood. Anyway, so we was like, you want to go to the new church? So we go to the new church. And people, as soon as me and my brother, and my brother walked in, we knew he was different because everyone has on suits, ties, button-ups, hats, you know. They, the women got their brooches, the little, the fake me out, um, cubic zirconium brooches of the flowers and the birds. And, <laughs> uh, the, the dudes have on their watches and their rings, the deacons and all that. And the people are looking at us like we crazy. You know, the ushers kind of looking at us because we me and my bro, we, we just walking in the church and we send people from the neighborhood and they looking at us like what in the hell are y'all doing in here and te- like they like even the kids that don't know better know better right and me and my brother and me and my brother usually know better but in this instance we was just like you know i read a little bit of the bible as a kid i was like you supposed you supposed to be able to come as you are and it's the mm-hmm. best clothes i got like and that's what immediately what i thought like these are the best things i have so i'm gonna just go down the street we stayed maybe Five minutes. And so everybody, and we tried to sit down and multiple people kept just kept saying, that's my seat. That's my seat. That's my seat. So we was just like, mm. we can't, so we like, where do you sit? And he's like, we don't know where you sit, but you don't sit there. That's my seat. And we was just like, huh? And we little kids and that's how they talking to us. So I'm like, ah, right, you know what? You trying to leave? And Kegel was just like, yeah, we're going to leave. So I remember we left and that was the last time I went into a church. Like, I was like, man, I can't believe how I was just treated in this church. Like I, I'm coming here for that community and I get rejected because the way, one, the way I present myself and two, for not be, for, for being ignorant of the process, I got rejected. And that was like my first foray and my last foray with the church until my, like, even though I got pastors in my family, like my aunt Louise, she's a, she's a preacher and my uncle James, he's a reverend and they do more evangelistic type of teaching, like that old down home style preaching. And it's all about um, hope and salvation as opposed to death and destruction. 
And that was my first soiree with the church. And then, you know, it just wasn't good. It wasn't pleasant. <laughs> it wasn't pleasant. I've had my run-ins with church. I never really was a church goer, but I'm not even going to get into that. You know, I'm not even going to get into it, but I, because, because my story is going to be disrespectful uh, for, for many reasons, <laughs> but not disrespectful of religion. Just like, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know what's going on here and you're asked to show up. And man, you man, don't right, want to You're trying to lie, bro. I know what your story is. You told me it's about McDonald's and it was McDonald's. <laughs> And that's the let's not try you try and make it seem like you this real put together dude. Keep it a bean. Tell them show the people what happened. Tell them your transactional your transactional relationship with God. With the Christian God, I should say. Yo, yo, because I have relationships with the right beings. I'm gonna just let you know that. But maybe when I was around eight or nine, my dad, he I mean he's he's always had a relationship with the church, whether it was on and off, he always had one. My mother, not so much. She now has a strong relationship, not necessarily with church, but the book, right? She has mm -hmm. the book and she reads and, you know, that gives her Nirvana in the midst of the hell storms that she goes through every single day, right? So I know the power of a good book, you know what I mean? But when I'm eight or nine, I'm not really trying to go to church. I'm trying to run around the block. That's all I'm trying to do. Right. And so my, <laughs> my dad's like, yo, we got to go to church. And my dad is notorious for really never telling us what to do. Like mm. he always just really enabled us. So this one day when he's like, yo, we got to go to church. I'm like, what? Why do we got to go to church? So put on clothes. Chris, what do I have on right now? I have on a, <laughs> like a, a, a hoodie. And that's what I wanted to wear to church. Mm. But I couldn't. Ain't, ain't that much changed <laughs> since I was eight or nine. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I want to wear a hoodie. I can't wear a hoodie, so I have to put on these clothes. So I'm mad anyway. So my dad's like, okay, we'll get McDonald's after church. So I perked up. Oh, yeah, I want some French fries. I want some nuggets. I'll go to church. So we go to church. We sit there. And you know how I go, man. It was one of those, like, it wasn't like a super energetic, passionate pastor at the podium. It was somebody mm -hmm. that was like a low-key, like monotone type. It wasn't really interesting to me. Mm. All I'm sugarcoating this is to say is that I fell asleep in church and I'm like, <sighs> Pops hit me. Mike, wake up. <laughs> I get up. And then the you know, woman in front of me, think about like a classic black, like, you know, grandmother in the church, you know, think about like the hat she's wearing with the netted and the, mm. you know, she looked back at me, mm. beaming at me. She's hot. She's like, yo, don't disrespect God. I'm trying to stay awake. I go back to sleep. My dad smacked me again. He makes me stay awake for the next hour. We go and get McDonald's. Um, and I say, yo, dad, I, just, I, just, I call him T actually, we call him T. Um, and I was like, yo, I don't, I don't think I want to do that again. Um, and he said, you know what, Michael? You don't have to go. But you know why my dad told me I didn't have to go? Because I embarrassed the hell out of him at this church. <laughs> I embarrassed the, the hell out of him. So I never had to go again. And then they tried to put me in Sunday school. And I only went because my girlfriend on the block at the time was going. So I was really only going to just like hang out with her. You, you have a girlfriend growing up on the block, Chris? No. No? No? no. I, I mean, I, okay. Okay. So you- I, I, keep it, I keep it. I keep it. I keep it 100%. There was a girl I liked, but I was too shy. And I'm not afraid to admit that now as an adult man. I was mad shy, bro, because I didn't know uh -huh. how to manage. I didn't know how to manage those emotions. And I have like a big brother type person to tell me what to do. Oh, you needed so, me on the block. You needed me. Oh, okay. Okay. You I had a homie. Me. So look, so some getting into it. So for let's get into it. That's a good topic. Let's switch to that real quick. 
Young Love or whatever. So it was a, and we, I, the wildest part, I'm pretty sure she liked me. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I and it was and I was it was and it was obvious I liked her obviously because I didn't talk to no uh, anybody else except her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing's really changed <laughs> in the way I deal with women. <laughs> Once I have a lady that I'm interested in, that's the only woman I really talk to. I don't talk to other women like that. Um, no vision. Trying to get out of that now, so it's not an awkward situation when I'm talking to a woman who is not my partner. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've told you about that. Me trying to be mm-hmm. more, you know, I told you about that. Yeah, so you can have you can have friendships exactly, with exactly, women, Chris. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And I've and I always was best, I always avoided that. But anyway, this girl, um, I guess I shouldn't say her name. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we was in the same program, uh, growing up, the fly program, and she was just mm-hmm. like this book smart girl. She was real book smart, and that's always been something that was my thing. I like girls. That's how I attracted are, you. Yeah. Yeah. I like girls who are smart. I like girls who read. I like girls, you know what I'm saying? And she was tall. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and she like, she you know what I'm saying? Like I remember the reason why I got into certain things is because she got into certain things, which is still something that I do to this day. If I if my girl is or if a girl I'm interested in is into something, I'm into it as well. Because <laughs> I learned because I learned that's that that's how you make conversation. That's how I learned you make conversation. So I I'm into it. I'm read. into you. <laughs> yes, yes. So I learned she liked Harry Potter. So what did I do? I read all the Harry Potters. I read all them Jones. I was I was into Harry Potter. Why? Not because I'm into these books. It's because I need to talk to her about it. And I know she into the books, you know. So mm-hmm. that's why I was super into Harry Potter. I knew she was into uh to rap. And at the time I wasn't. So what was I into? Rap. Wow. <laughs> what's, your fa- what's your favorite group? Bone Thugs and Harmony. I just love Crazy Bone. Me too. I really like him. He's great. The music is so fast. You like fast rap. I could do that. Okay. <laughs> okay, Chris. Watch. I can know the words and I learned all the I learned all the fastest part of the little thuggish ruggish moan. Like I could do the whole part. And then it's just like little teeny things like that. And you know, I believe she was also into anime. And I didn't even know what that was. Like I knew about Dragon Ball Z from my friends, but I she was in the other anime, like the little the real anime, like about the gender switching and mm-hmm. people turning into dogs and all this other nonsense. <laughs> I never got that far. I was just like, you weird for that. I'm not into that for real. <laughs> that's a little left for me. And I think that's cool that you're into something so weird, but it, it never really went anywhere. The most, you know, it, well, I mean, one day we just, we, we walked home together. I remember that we walked home together after um, festival day at, at summer camp and we like held hands. And I remember that was like the height of the relationship, I would just say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember it was a big scandal in the program. He's like, oh, Chris, I heard you walked her home. Oh, I heard y'all held hands. Da, 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 da. And I remember I was so embarrassed by that. That just made, immediately made me feel like I'm not pursuing this at all. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And I ain't pursuing it at all. And uh, <laughs> it was just bugged out. Like, I remember we had, we were sitting down on the stoop. And, our, um, and my homie, um, homie Anthony, backyard. After festival day, like festival day was going on, but me and her had creeped off to this at this little joint, mm-hmm. the little my homie. It was a mutual friend, Anthony, and we was on his stoop just talking or whatever, because that was like our mutual friend between. Like she, like, she knew him too, so we just talking or whatever. And I remember she had asked me for my number, and I remember this day, and I did, and I said, and I and I I, I fumbled the bag, I fumbled the bag. She's like, Can I, well, how about you give me like we just talking, making jokes, and she was just like. Well, how about you give me your number? And I was like, what? And she's like, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and 
And I remember that was kind of just how it went. And I never got her number. <laughs> it was trash. I was trash. Still that guy. <laughs> so that's that's, that's what, that was my story in that. That was the that was the girl like from my neighborhood, and it never went to somewhere with, with her. And uh, I remember I ran into her later in life after college. And I remember uh, it was weird because I was with my old girlfriend at the time. So I'm walking mm-hmm. with her. And then I see her, and it was just immediate. I still had that feeling like, oh, man, that's, oh, man, that's so-and-so. It's weird. It's weird. Because immediately what I think, it's weird. It's weird. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It's weird. And, you know, we walking through the Target. And I remember she was talking to her coworker about me. She's like, that's, I think that's the dude. da 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 and I can hear them because I got superhuman hearing, you know, I, so I can hear everything. <laughs> and I'm trying to play it off like, hey, it's talking. And I'm like, hey, so what you want to get from here? Da, 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 da. It was just weird, bro. So, yeah, it was, it was a wild situation how that worked out. So I that was my story. That. You told that was my story that. about that. You told us she wasn't a, a young farmer growing up. But, no, you know, this probably didn't work out because you would have ended up being a young father, you know. So this didn't I don't think out, so. Chris. No. She, she went to college. That's what again, smart. And and you didn't mess just, that up. And you won't go mess that up. You heard? Yeah, but also but also it's just it's a smart thing. Like she was just smart. Like I'm she still don't have a kid. <laughs> she she married she she married now, I believe. She married. She married to a Latino a Latino dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My mom told me the other day, she was like, Oh, you thinking about you like you think you're ready for kids? And I was like, Yeah, man, I think it's gonna happen. You know, I'm 30 now. My mom been waiting since I was well, you can have kids at any time in my family. I'm just, I'm mm-hmm. just say that it just happens. Uh, so, for me to be so far removed from 18 years old and still not mm-hmm. have a kid, my mom's like, "Yo, so uh, you, you, you ready or no?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Ma, I think it's about time." And she was like, "Oh, Lord!" <laughs> I told my sister, my, my my blood, the blood, the blood sister, uh, Renee. I said, yeah, I think it's about time we about to have kids. She was like, oh, hell, about to freeze over. Mike having kids? I guess it's okay for everybody to have kids now. And I'm just like, oh, you know what? I appreciate that my family thinks so highly of me. <laughs> 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 oh, like, now is the appropriate time for you to have a kid? Oh, okay, if you feel good about having a kid, then I guess things are okay. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, we're about to bring babies into this world. But, Chris, that's all on the side to say, this is Black History Month. And we talked on Black film, Black exploitation. We talked about Black churches. We even got into a little bit of Black love, right? Mm-hmm. It's Black this month. It's also the shortest month of the year, Lit. right? So <laughs> much, that, much like the lives of young Black men and women, the shortest lifespan, if you are able to make it out of your teenage years, you are a mythical creature. Stay woke, young brother. Stay woke. I'm just saying, we unicorns out here. We unicorns out here making it to 30. Shout out to the mm-hmm. last episode. 30 years old, 30 mm-hmm. years while black is is really an accomplishment in America and in a lot of places, right? Mm-hmm. What, is, what is Black History Month for you? Well, Black History Month tra- traditionally in school used to be the month where you learn about black people stuff. Um, and depending on yes. the, depending on what we now call the wokeness, of your teacher, it's it would really kind of change the, your experience with the month. So, I had a charmed experience. I think we talked about it briefly on here. I grew up going. To, I grew up in D.C. and I had the luxury of having mostly but all black teachers. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I, I didn't have a white teacher. I think I didn't have a white teacher until I got to high school. So uh, I had a lot of strong black female teachers, and I had a lot of great strong black male teachers as well. And the wildest thing is you could see the age disparity and the way that they would teach. 
So the, my older teachers would teach black history kind of traditionally by the book all the way up to the civil rights movement and Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, <laughs> and that kind of was it. I had a teacher in elementary school named Miss Ragsdale and she was the, she was a hotep, but people will call now, like she was Afrocentric mm-hmm. at the time, but now you would be called, she would be called a hotep because she wore dashikis every single day. She was intentional with the way that she showed her blackness. She taught about how it's okay to love yourself. It's okay to be, to, um, to be proud of who you are and your heritage, to be positive and how you view the world, how you should want, it's okay to want better for yourself. Those are the things that she really taught us as young people. And then my other teachers who were younger, they were teachers about Malcolm X. And I had a conversation with my girl about this recently, how depending on who your teacher was and what their relationship to the Southern tradition and Christianity was, was how they would teach you about Malcolm X. <laughs> so if he, if they were really, really entrenched in the Christian church, they would teach you Martin Luther King was the primary end all be all civil rights. And if they wasn't really into all that <laughs> religion, Malcolm X was my guy. He's that's their guy. My guy. <laughs> that's their guy. That was their guy. Like, don't let them tear down Malcolm X. He's a strong brother, a fiery brother, young in the streets. He was much like y'all. Some of y'all gonna be like that. And don't, it's never too late to change. Cause that's what Malcolm X to me represents now. It's never too late to change who you are. You can always change. So as I say all that to say, Black History Month has always been a, a month of, of discovery about blackness, but it almost always ended on civil rights. It's almost always focused exclusively on America. I believe the only person who ever taught me about black history pre-America was uh, Mr. Burton, who was my social studies teacher kind of in elementary school because they did this weird thing um, where they had the teachers focus on whatever their passion was as opposed to teaching the curriculum that we supposed to learn for the test. The teachers taught what they wanted. <laughs> So you would have your you would have a teacher who was really good at math, like Miss Monsanto, and then you had a teacher who was really good at English, which is you know kind of hard to teach. But it's, if you're a real traditional teacher, you're good at teaching English, and that was Miss Dunham. And then you had another teacher who was good at science, as the sciences, the social sciences, and that would be social studies, like about the world and geography. That was Mr. Burton, and it's because he had been in Vietnam. He was good at social studies. He knew understood. He had a different understanding of the world than all the other people in the building. And he was also the first black Republican I met and the first man I met who was first conservative and black. And that was a big pushing point for me because I didn't even know you could be that. So it was just weird. <laughs> and I think about that a lot, like that foundation of learning about how black people come from wealth and, you know, Africans and the, the connection between Africa and blackness and how black people and, Af- and Africans are disconnected because of the cultural tradition of slavery. Yeah, man, I think that there needs to be more of a focus on a more worldwide identity of what blackness is and what it means to be black in a diaspora. Cause you know, blackness is everywhere and you and it, it should be appreciated no matter where you go. Um, and I got one short story and I'm gonna get you my bad. I got one short story. So I remember I was in Guatemala and that was the, that was my first time out the country. I ain't never been out the country before or nothing like that. It was a, it was a really, it was a great experience for me because it helped me get perspective on how I saw America. At the time, going to a liberal arts college, a liberal arts college, but it's still a private university at American University, I had a very jaded view of America before I went to Guatemala. And you experience what actual poverty is. When you go to a foreign country and you see what it means to be broke, you come back with an appreciation for America. It's no way, it's impo- It's almost impossible. Like anybody that be going to study abroad and they come back and they still dislike America, it's like you tripping. It's imp- that's impossible. That's imp- you must have stayed in the best part of that 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 place. So 
I, we was there with the people and you could see people struggling. And I remember I saw a black dude on the street because the wildest part about me, me being in Guatemala is I was like the tallest person in the country <laughs> at that time. <laughs> <laughs> They're short mountainous people. And <laughs> it was weird because we were walking through the downtown metropolitan area going to get some, uh, going to actually get some medicine because all of us had got sick because we all somehow, some way, I ain't gonna tell the story or whatever, but we ate somebody's food and we were sick. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we needed to go get some some stuff to kill these viruses that we had in our body because we had some bacteria. So he's walking down the street and they saw this, and I saw this dude and I was like, wait, what? He kind of looked, and he was looked at me and I looked at him and we, he was black. Like he was like, he was obviously Guatemalan or something, but he was black, like me, my complexion. So he looked at me and I looked at him and I remember he just gave me a head nod like that. And I gave him a head nod. We kind of looked at each other as I walked past. And then that was that. And, we, and then I just kept walking. But I was like, that connection is something I never forget. Like, no matter where you go, if you see somebody that looks like you, you go and acknowledge them and just always go and be acknowledgement it's at the very minimum. Because he looked shocked and I looked shocked. Like, both of us just like, what? Because that's how I went. It was just like, huh? And he, it, it was just a crazy experience. So, yeah, man. Got to appreciate your folks wherever you are, no matter what. And Chris, you hit on this, you know, before we before we hit record, you know, the importance of understanding the diaspora. I didn't learn that word until I got to college. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, so I've had a mixed bag as it relates to race for my teachers, right? Mm. Primarily Black, Latino. Once you go to high school and you have to have in a TFA, Teach for America and all that, you get a lot, you get an influx of white folks who are teaching in predominantly communities of color. And so that was my first... My first real time hearing about the diaspora was in high school. So yeah, I didn't, I can't recall, honestly, any teachers really going hard on Black History Month. Um, And also just thinking about my household, we grew up Black, you know, we were raised Black, but we didn't really dive into any of the history. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So I remember when I would get to college and I, and I, I remember when I got to college and, you know, you, I met different folks who just knew things that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, they were doing Black Student Alliance, you know, what was it, Caribbean Circle? Yeah, Caribbean like, Circle, you know, ASO, African Student Organization, ASO. Bro, like the conversation around identity and Blackness and all of those <laughs> things were just honestly above my head because I remember I told this to somebody one day and they looked at me backwards, right? I said, they were talking about Black identity. And I was like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really think of myself as Black until I got to college. And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, I grew up with all black people and Latinos. I didn't really think about him being like, you know, Mexicans and Salvadorians. That was mm-hmm. that was my part of South Central LA. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really distinguish myself as I am a black man. I knew I was black, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't that I was like, I wanted to be something else. It was not at the forefront of my identity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So when you get to college and you have folks where they've probably had a different, well, they definitely had a different experience being black in their communities and what that looks like, because I didn't really have a neighboring white community where racism was at my doorstep. Like, you know, you mm-hmm. had police who were police, right? So that was a distinction, right? It didn't matter if you were black, white, Latino, whatever. If you were police, you were the police, right? It didn't mm-hmm. matter. We didn't mess with you, yeah. <laughs> right? And yeah. then you had your dentists, you had your doctors, right? That was my real only experience with white folks. And then I had a couple teachers, right? But otherwise, like, it was black and brown for me. So that wasn't just really at the forefront. So getting to college is where I got a ton of exposure to identity, the diaspora and all of those things. And it really was a point of almost contention at the beginning. Cause you kind of have to struggle with that. Right. Like, cause people are sort of, I would say 
choice words, like force it down your throat. Like you need to think about this. You need to be a part of these conversations. You need to learn about your history. You need to, you need to, you need to. And I'm a person where you're not going to tell me what I need to do. Right. <laughs> I'm just not. I don't, you could be, you could be telling me that I need to, <laughs> I'm going to throw this in there. We're not going to go down this path, but you could tell me that I need to invest in cryptocurrency because it's going to be the new way in which we're mm. going to operate with currency mm -hmm. and you need to get ahead of it now to be a millionaire, Mike. And I'm going to be like, mm. you're not going to tell me what to do. Mm. Right. You're not, it got to be on Powerful. my time. But that's Powerful. how, but that's how a lot of people operate though. You, they, mm -hmm. you have to meet them where they are and they have to go at their pace and meet you on their time. So mm -hmm. I will say I took a lot away from that experience in college, like maybe not even being actively involved in any of those groups that we just named, but creating mm -hmm. my own, creating a space for folks like me who are just like, yo, I know I'm black and I know my experience being black. Right. And I know it's not the only experience of being black. That being said, this group, and that energy is really just not for me, right? I'm, I'm more focused on more or less that individual pursuit. I was selfishly focused on that in school, right? I was just mm -hmm. like, I need to graduate. So all this other stuff, I ain't really got time for it. To be totally honest, I was like, I got to graduate and I got to get a job. So I wasn't really there. So it wasn't really until my adulthood that I've really started to really dig into this, right? Because now mm -hmm. that you got the job, now that you got the education, now that you have that, it's like, okay, let's take a step back. And it's not to say that you couldn't see the markers of who you are in spaces and how you're treated and how you're received, mm -hmm. right? All of that stuff is there. That's not new to me, but it was more or less, what are you doing in your personal life and your work life, et cetera, mm -hmm. that really tries to combat a lot of the systemic inequities that you know you face and that others face? Like, how are you going to play an active role? So for me, back in high school, back in college, that wasn't a really big part of my life just call it mm. activism. But now it manifests in a different way, maybe not through being on the streets, et cetera, but having different conversations and figuring out how can you support people in those spaces to kind of magnify their voice. All that is to say, Black History Month, I think it needs a, what you're getting to is like the way in which we educate folks. And, and in one sense, you can say we're indoctrinated, right? Into mm. certain cultural ways, like they're taught to us as black people, they're sort of forced down our throat, like how we should act, what we should be, what we find cool, what we find entertaining. Mm -hmm. um, that needs to change. Um, and how our leaders or the folks that we look to, how we talk about our history, how we try to connect the dots for folks to empower folks. Um, I want to hear and see more of that. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it's important, you know, because when I think about, and this is connecting the dots with Judas and the Black Messiah, there are people like Fred who are here today. Right. And they are, you know. Oh, you mean Sean King? Sean King, Doc Mel. There's, there's, there's a whole, there's a, there's a whole list of folks who. Oh, Umar Johnson. I, hey, man, I can't run down a list because again, I got to do my research. <laughs> but, young Pharaoh. You mean Young Pharaoh? That's what you talking about, Young Pharaoh. Oh, brother Polite. That's what you talking about, brother Polite. But the point is that there's lots of there's. I think there are lots of people who are taking a stand, and I think because of the advent of technology, there's lots of ways to do it to get your message mm -hmm. across and to try to galvanize folks. And I think I'm here for it all. I'm here for it all um, because the one thing that stood out to me with Judas and the Black Messiah in that movie, just the way in which, like you said, the language that Fred was using was the type of language that resonates with me, mm. right? So when we think about the cast of characters that have come before us, like. Um, Martin Luther or, or Malcolm X, and you think about folks like Fred, I think about where I would have fell. And just knowing myself, you can never really know, but I probably would have fell in that Fred crowd, for sure. That, that definitely would have been me. So just learning more about history, learning more about like your experience and your role in it, how you participated, how you perpetuated, but now how you kind of break those cycles is a point of exploration that I want everybody to have. And so I'm glad that we're talking about this because it is Black History Month and we definitely got to talk about Black history. Yeah.
I mean, it's important. It's wild because I'm I used to try to drag you to the meetings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you would not come. I think you nah. went to one. I think you went to one. You went to one. And I was like, you trying to come to the next one? You was like, this not for me. <laughs> it's like, this not for me. I remember that, man. I used to, I was involved in all that, man. I used to go to the ASO. I was in Caribbean Circle. I was in the um, BSA. You know what I'm saying? I was at the, mm-hmm. at the lasso meetings. You know, I was at everything. And I just, because I just was genuinely interested in, I've always been that guy. I always, my, uh, that's thankful to my mom. She always tried to make sure that me and Kiego had a had a worldly view and a worldly perspective. Like, dog, like, y'all fellas, y'all, men, y'all got y'all got to have more to y'all than what you doing. What it just looked like, and it's gonna be important when y'all get out here with these white folks to be able to have these conversations on different types of topics. Because the broader your perspective, the more types of people you can interact with, and the more people you can interact with, the more the further you will be able to trans try to move and transgress like travel in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's weird to hear you say that because like my my identity because of that worldliness has always been questioned, especially in my neighborhood. Like I remember people used to think me and my brother was like on some white boy stuff all the time, all the time. Like it was just something they would tell us. Like y'all don't, y'all, Chris and Kegel, y'all know y'all be on that white boy shit. Y'all be with the white people. Cause you know, the tutoring program, the mentor program mm-hmm. he's part of. And it just always, it was something that used to be weird. Cause it's like my represent, my, my blackness wasn't the blackness of the prototypical blackness of my neighborhood. So it's like my blackness always came into question, even though I was doing all these things extracurricular activities to really help support my neighborhood, the same neighborhood that didn't necessarily accept me as who I was, you know what I'm saying? Like somebody who wasn't out here with the rah-rah running the streets, chasing after all the ladies, you know? It's like, nah, I'm I'm in the house, I'm playing video games, I'm drawing, I'm reading anime, you know what I'm saying? That's what I like doing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not black. (laughs) What? Because I don't want to play basketball all day. (laughs) Because I'm not, you know what I'm saying? I'm not out here playing baseball, football, basketball, and running track, like everybody Mm -hmm. else in the neighborhood, like, which is another thing we need to talk about. People be wondering why corrupt criminals be physical specimens. It's because the parents in the neighborhood put your kids in every sport you can imagine since you're a small child. Of course, these people are going to be superhumans, able to run, run 20 miles in one breath, you know what I'm saying, jump 20 street, fair up in the air. This person's been playing every sport. You can All the quick twitch muscles are developed by the age of five. <laughs> all the endurance muscles are, envel- are developed by the age of four. Like <laughs> all, all the explosive muscles are developed by the age of three. So it's just, <laughs> you know, but yeah, man, that's that's weird to hear you say that because I feel like my blackness is always, it was always something that came into my mind since I was a little boy. Like, I, you, you're a black person. I, a lot of the stuff I used to do and a lot of the stuff I used to read about kind of was to engage that idea of wanting to be more than just a black man. Because it's like, I, at the end of the day, I just want to be a human. You know what I'm saying? And that's something I used to really maul over a lot is that relationship to humanity and blackness because a lot of the ways like society sees blackness as something that's almost subhuman. And it's like, I don't want to be, I never wanted to be viewed as something that's subhuman. Like I'm at the end of the day, I'm still a man. I'm just like you, I'm a human. But the more that I thought about it, the more it led me back to blackness isn't what, what it seems to be, but you, I'm a human and I'm black. It's not, I'm, I'm black and I'm a human. It's not, I'm a human because I'm black, which is something that took a long time for me to get to. And I know this is going to sound crazy, but it's a thing like, it's something I still think about like the identity politics of it. Cause every now it's now it's in it's so cool to be black. It's real cool to be black now, but is it cool to be black because it's trendy? And that's the thing I always think about. It's like if this wasn't something that was hip to do on social media, would all these people be doing acting and moving the way they was moving? That's interesting. Cause Chris, I mean, I was called whitewashed you know, all throughout high school. Why? 
because of how I spoke. The syllables, <laughs> all the syllables. <laughs> and my boys would be like, oh, you know, you talk like a white person. And I'm like, all right. And, you know, in the way I would text people, I text in full sentences, all punctuation. Like yeah. I, to, to this day, to this yeah, day. Me too. Me too. To this day. So that, that, <laughs> that, that was my thing. So being called whitewashed at that time meant something like different. It was kind of just like, you know, like you a sucker, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, whatever. But, you know, going to college and having your black identity challenged in the way in which it was, like you're not black enough. It was like a mm -hmm. different type of language or energy that was kind of casted on you, which made you kind of step back and take a look at it. So, but I also think those are just, those are just my experience and how I ended up engaging with that, you know, identity politics and what that meant for me. And everybody's going to have their own version of that. Cause you may get encountered with that as a child. And that may be something that you grow up with, right? Where black identity is at the forefront. Like you said, it was always something that you grew up with, right? And we basically arrive at the same points around these things, like the, the consensus of what we're talking about, the core um, or the foundational parts of our identity and what we feel are aligned. Our path to get here was completely different. You fast tracked mm -hmm. it. I'm just catching up, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting to see how we both arrived at this point, even though our experiences were very different. And I think that's yeah. going to be common when you talk to any black person. I want to get over to mentors because, again, in the spirit of this being Black History Month, it's important to talk about our history, our short history, um, and our experiences and, and the people who have been a part of our lives to help shape us and get us here. Yeah. Right. And so we've, we've talked about our mentors basically throughout every every damn episode they come up. So you obviously they obviously play important roles in our life. Yes. So, Chris, tell me about a, a couple of your mentors and sort of just why it's important. I have a thought, I'm gonna hold on to it. But uh, to just walk me through your mentors and sort of like, what's the importance of that? A mentor to me is a weird word, is a weird word. Cause I have, in a way I feel like growing up, then I have, uh, my father wasn't around. So it's like, I had a lot of representations of what masculinity was in my life. You know what I'm saying? But I feel like now as an older person, I, I have, it's a couple mentors that stick out, but it, to, to it would be, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the other people that had an impact in my life because I always got to go to like my mother's boyfriends or whatever, you know, specifically probably um, Ike and Elwood. Those are the two men who were the most prominent in my life growing up as a child, like as a small child, you know, and to after and to elementary school, like they was around, do everything thick and thin. They was around, if that makes sense. Um, and they just was, they was just showed me what two different, two very different identities of what it meant to be black. Ike was an African dude. He was around when my mom, when, when me and my brother was younger, but then they, my mother and him kind of fell off. And then it was Elwood. Elwood was the cool black dude. Like he was just a cool dude. Like he had a Cadillac. He worked for Metro, you know what I'm saying? He had a good job. He 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 took care of home. He took care of being Kiego. Like whenever he was around, he made sure to take care of the family. And it's like, Nowadays, it's all people be like, oh, you a simp, you take care of somebody else's um, kids, this and that, this and that. And it's like, but at the same time, it's, you got to be a strong person to to want to be with somebody who got kids and still take that and be willing to take that responsibility. Yes. And he definitely was that. He took that responsibility. Like, he treated us treated us well, man. Like, he tried to teach us about stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like, like he'd come and, like, play fight with us and just show, tell us, like, man, why are you doing that? Do this. <laughs> don't do that, do this. And we were like, oh, okay. You know, just giving us a little teeny stuff like that. And he just, he just watching him, I feel like that's still a big part of my personality, like how I interact with um, ladies to this day is because of him. And then the next person, I guess, would be my teachers. 
and that all men are mentors for me. It's women too, like Miss Nixon. She was like a really positive representation of like a, a woman who I don't know who cared about me. I remember she's the first person that told me I need glasses because I didn't know I needed glasses. I couldn't mm. see. And she recognized that I couldn't see. And she's like, Chris is a bright kid because he's able to read. He's able to do the work. But for some reason, when we go into the classrooms, the class part, when you got to sit away from the board, I struggled. So I remember she used to, she told my mom that I needed glasses. And I remember I got cursed out because I didn't tell my mom I needed glasses. And I was like, but how was I supposed to know that this is not the way you see the world? <laughs> I had no idea that the world wasn't HD. I, I always thought the world was just fuzzy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. Like that's how my whole, my whole life, my eyes was fuzzy. So I didn't know that the things were supposed to be sharp or whatever. <laughs> and I remember that, that was so, you know, and then it was Miss LeMay and she impacted me because she basically taught me like to dream big. You know what I'm saying? And that's something that I always remember. Like, you can dream big, and if you try, you can do it. Like, you can do it. Because I remember I was struggling with doing the, the numbering system where you got to count from zero to as much as much as you could. And she made it into a competition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just it was just dope. And then it was Miss uh, Miss Greg. And Miss Greg was looked like Moesha. She looked like Moesha. You know what I'm saying? I'm, that's why I remember her when I was little. Like, she was real mm-hmm. pretty or whatever. Miss Miss Greg. And she was real tall. And she was real smart. And you know what I'm saying? And she was just, she used to have the fine braids, like the real thin micro braids and all that. And that was Miss Greg. And she just was like somebody who taught us about being upright and being, like, confident in what you're doing. And then it was Miss Lawson. And she's the woman that changed my life. Like, gave me the opportunity to get connected with Fly. And I think about Miss Lawson to this day. I, I think about where I would have been if I ain't never meet her. And she ain't put me in touch with... Jamie and Sharice and Amy and all them. Like if she ain't put us in touch with them, where would I be? Like I would probably, I feel like I would still made it to where I wanted to go, but my path would have been a bit more um, foggy as to what I needed to do to get there. Now I'm just going through all my teachers in my foundational years, you know, but then more ideas are like mentors though. Cause I, I ain't trying to make this a long <laughs> section. I know I can get verbose. Uh, my main mentors probably be Jamie, Sharice, um, Amy. They were the first people that I met that didn't know me. And they just try to show me different things, teach me about the world. And then Jamie, he's a real positive masculine. He's like, he's a Jewish guy from Boston. And he just came to the to the Anacostia, to Bury Farms, and just taught us kids about his culture, about what he did. You know, he introduced me to hip hop. And um, that's still a big part of my personality and my, my experience to this day. And, you know, I'm still close with Jamie, still close with Amy, still talk to Sharice and stuff to this day. Like, they, they always going to be a prominent part of my journey. And that's more, that's, that's something I never forget. Then it was uh, Mr. Burton. He's an interracial couple. He's married to a Vietnamese woman and they had a, had a biracial kid. And I ain't never met nobody like that in real life at that point. So it was just his, and he was just very, very regimented, very, very conservative. And he was very vocal about his beliefs. And he would just give us, he would give us information in a way that was just so blunt. And I remember that's what I learned from him is that you, as a man, you gotta be blunt. It's okay to be blunt, especially if you, as long as you're being honest. And I still try to be that way. It was like, if I feel something about something, I'm gonna let you know. There's Mr. E, you know, there's Mr. Monsanto, all these people. I got a lot of representation of people that just impacted. And I just pick up jewels, like they drop jewels and I just try to pick them up. Mr. Squirrel, you know, Mr. Melchus Davis, um, Bill Harris. I just can't, it's so, it's so many people I would count as people that really changed and helped mold me into the person I am today. And then right now is Kenny, Kenny Diggs, dude. You know, <laughs> he, my, he, my, he my man, man, you know, uh, Kenny. And I always say, you and me, Kenny got me. Like, and I always say that when I talk to either one of y'all. I'm like, you got me, yeah. Mike. Or I'm like, oh, Kenny, you got me, Mike. Or you got me, Kenny. Like, I always say that. Because it's just like, y'all so aligned, you know. 
And he's just somebody that really helped me reach to a new upper echelon. Like, and I, and I gotta, I always credit him with that. Like he helped me to unlock stuff in me that I didn't think was, I ain't, it's not that, I guess, yeah, I didn't think it was necessary to even do those things, but through his constant belittling, <laughs> I got there, man. And it's like, That's I always gonna be it. thankful to him, man. Yeah, I, I'm always be thankful to him for that. And I always try to talk to him like that. But like, man, I try, cause you know, he be trying to be more, like more friendly with me or whatever. And I'd be like, but nah, Kenny, like I don't see you as a friend cause I got reverence for you. You know what I'm saying? I have reverence for you. And I try to maintain that. And I'd be telling him that, I'd be like, I'm always gonna have a reverence for you. I'm always gonna see you in that way. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, because it's like, I, I don't see you as a friend. I see you as somebody who's like a mentor, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, and that's to me, that's not mm-hmm. a bad thing, but it's just like, it's a thing. Like I'm always gonna have a level of respect for you where I'm just still gonna feel, not feel comfortable talking to you about certain things or asking certain things of you because you, 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 Kenny, you know what I'm saying? And I'd be trying to tell him that and it'd be weird, you know, mm-hmm. growing up, it was more male centric and trying to get black men to do what's right. But in today's society, it's more about the black woman doing right. And it's a lot of support for her. And I don't know if it's a lot of support for black men as it used to be when we was growing up. So if you know somebody that's young and they need some help, help them, bro. Help them. Yeah, I think on at the end of that, when you talked about the emphasis of who you help and why, I do think there has been a strong emphasis on supporting black men. Um, and I think what you've done is showcase that there are lots of great examples of men in general, but, but specifically black men that have helped provide guidance for you, right? So yes, there's a whole cast of black dudes out here that's trash, yes. <laughs> Not to say that there isn't. Um, and maybe we have the luxury, maybe we have the privilege or the benefit, whatever words you wanna throw in there, to have had exposure and to have had these people in our lives and it affects our um perception and it affects our sort of understanding of our role in this ecosystem of having to kind of reciprocate that right Mm -hmm. to pay it forward right and so Mm -hmm. i won't go down my list of of mentors or or teachers (laughs) primarily chris because i won't be able to name them all because i have a lot i have a lot um but i will say that Mentorship, I think, has, I mean, there's mo- there's lots of definitions, right? Because even when we spoke about this last, you said maybe guide is the right word, right? And then there's counsel, people who you just go to for advice. Then there's like, like there's, there's so many words you can use to describe who these people are to you at the place and time at which you meet them and how they help move you forward. And so when I think about my early years, <laughs> My my dad, you know, my, my step-in father, he taught me a lot about what to do, but also what not to do in relationships, you know, how to really be there for your partner. And it wasn't really something that I would say I would blame on him. It's more or less what did he learn growing up as the responsibilities of a man in a household? He learned that a man was supposed to be the provider and that was your job, not a caretaker, right? And so you mostly put my mom in that role Right, and when you're in a relationship and you have someone who is just the finance, the financier, and then you want somebody to be the caretaker, you're going to see those two roles displayed. And I had the, the the benefit of being able to see that and say, okay, you need to be both of those, right? You need to be both, right? You need to be able to put something on the table, but you also need to be able to take care and be there, um, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and all of that for your children and for your partner. So that was like my first foray into that. And I've had lots of people kind of drop into my life and drop out of my life. But the way I want to sum this up is that I think you got to be open to mentorship. There's lots of people 
who I've had tell me that they want to support me. They want to help me. And lots of those people I've leaned into and reached my hand out as they reached their hand out. And we said, cool, we're locked in. I want to take the support and our relationships have grown, right? From high school with Steven Minix. I'm not even going to get into it about this dude because I think it'll just make a lot more sense when he's on this podcast. But that's my man's 100 grand. Like there's... You, there's 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 lots of pieces about me that when you hear from Steven, you'll be like, yo, okay, 15 years of Mike, 15 years of Mike and Steven, this is this is like my character is definitely ingrained or a piece of him. Um, so he was number one. Uh, and then Jonathan Mathis, uh, he was my mentor, or he is my mentor, um, and turning into a brother now, right? So when you talked about like keeping folks in this allure, this mystique that they have and you hold them there, I hear where you're coming from. I hear where you're coming from and I, I see why you have, like, because you have reverence, you want to keep them there. But I think the beauty of the relationships that I have with my mentors is that we've gone beyond just that sort of one-way relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Now, we can sit with each other. We can talk about intimate details about our lives and our relationships and what we're trying to do. But that's also just me, right? I'm, I'm like that with whoever, right? Like, I just meet you and we in there. We digging in, right? Yourself. Uh, it's, it's, you, you, <laughs> hey, bro, that's just that's just how I'm on that time. I'm I'm always so from Jonathan Mathis, and I want to go off to college and talk about Fanta All, Tiffany Speaks, those folks, mm -hmm. and then get to my adulthood. There are now folks that I'm cultivating, right? Because I'm like, yo, before it was people were coming to me and coming into my life, whether it was through a program, whether it's through sports, right? They were they were in a space where I was an applicant or referred, and then they were sort of assigned or we sort of organically connected. Now mm -hmm. in life, I'm seeing people and I'm like, hey, you're special. <laughs> I think I'm special. Yeah. How can we be special together? <laughs> Teach me your ways, right? And that really speaks to like new folks that I'm like, hey, I, I know with mentorship, it is, it, I mean, it is about, it starts off as a relatively transactional relationship, right? You got to do things in order to get something for you. And I, and I love the fact that this, this woman that I met within the past year, Dr. Anika Warren, she's an incredible human being. And I absolutely have reverence for her, bro. Like, I'm like, yo, she's it, right? She just mm -hmm. gets it. And just the way in which she operates and conducts herself lets me know that, yo, you can be the person that drops all the syllables in this room, but at the end of the day, I am who I am and I am me and you can respect all parts of me. So I'm gonna bring my full self here. I know who I need to be in certain rooms, but don't play yourself, <laughs> right? And I, and I just love that from her because she's just well-read, well-spoken, well-intentioned, well-done. Everything about it just makes sense. And I'm like, yo, as I elevate to this next level, that's that's the kind of person that I aspire to really to be. So building that that like sort of counsel, that general counsel is, is really important. And I know that's not the experience of lots of folks. Right. And so I think it's important for us to talk through our mentors and the people who have given us guidance and counsel, because I think it's really us trying to implore other folks to be able to kind of build that community around yourself, because that's really how we got to where we are. If you're asking mm -hmm. like, yo, what's the recipe? What's the secret to success? What's the silver bullet? It's people. <laughs> it's not tools. It's not school. It's not books. All those things are a part of the process. Right. Mm -hmm. With a recipe, you need a spatula. It's not essential, but you need it. Right. The ingredients were really just people. Right. And that mm -hmm. combination of people that I had in my life helped me get here. And so um, it's important that people have that, especially when you're trying to level up. Right. And you're trying to understand yourself in space and time. Yeah, I agree, man.
Shout out to Ricky Davis and Donald Curtis too. You know, can't forget them. Oh, um, my AU and Rob, fam. Yeah, Robin, Robin Adams. Robin Adams. Isaac Igbeshinoy. Oh, yeah, Isaac. My guy. Uh, this is tough though, Chris, because when you do this, when you start this 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 thing, shouting thing, you miss folks. And it doesn't mean that these people aren't special in your life. You know? Yeah. Do we write a list and we post it on a site and we just list off all the no. individuals? That- <laughs> no. Nothing like that. <laughs> But if I missed you, if I missed you, I didn't miss you. How about that? (laughs) So, Chris, we covered lots of ground today. We talked about Judas and the Black Messiah, an incredible film. Definitely check that out. Um, We talked about Black History Month and what that looks like for us, Black identity. And we even crossed over into mentorship and what that looks like. We covered a lot of ground today. mm -hmm. I know I mentioned this last week, but I think guests are what's next to come in on some of these topics to really dig in because I think we're going to have an opportunity to highlight some folks, bring some content on here that you may have not had. And mm. I'm also I'm also trying to learn something. And I learn mm. best. Um, I'm a visual learner. But mm. in this case, auditory is going to be great because if you're just going to tell me what I need to know, I can I can pull that. I like to learn in conversation. That's mm. that's where my learning happens. It happens in conversations. It doesn't happen with me looking at a book or looking at a screen. It's really in conversation. So I'm really excited about that to bring folks in on here. And almost, almost just really just to take a step back and just watch the shenanigans with you and whatever guest it is. That's that's mm. what I'm here for. The antagonistic relationship I build with this person <laughs> out the gate. <laughs> Who's this person talking to me like they know me? <laughs> Talk to everybody like that. <laughs> you can't talk to everybody like that, Chris. Why not? <laughs> we'll get there eventually if they're worth knowing. <laughs> I'm just going to be there immediately. Simple as that. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah, I don't like the familiar, your familiar tone. Well, should I be unfamiliar with you? Like, because then we could just not talk. Oh, well, okay. Well, you put it like that. Yeah, I put it like that. Um, <laughs> like... <laughs> I'm going to be jovial with you. That's it. And if you don't like it, oh, okay, then I'm not going to be anything with you other than professional. (laughs) All or nothing. Black and white. (laughs) It's an issue I have. I don't care. Because <laughs> we, we definitely got to talk about that. One of the things you, you mentioned today is your relationship with women. And we definitely got to talk about that joint because, yeah, bro, everybody should get the smoke when you're talking to them, Chris. Everybody should get the smoke. Everybody mm. should get the smoke. You can no. hug people. It's okay. Well, not now. You know, pandemic times, but you know. Yeah, man, this is Beyond Hood and Evil. You know what I'm saying? I'm Chris, and that's Mike over yeah. there, man. And be sure to check out Moodify, your one-stop shop for all active change you want to make. And who you are is not even about health and wellness. It's about accountability and being a better version of yourself. So be on the lookout for that. And also be on the lookout for Stiff Works. You know what I'm saying? Come see us. Visit us if you got any branding or uh, social media assets, logo development, design needs, you know. So um, that's stiffworks.com. And that's the podcast. I appreciate you, baby. Have a good one. Appreciate you too, man. Peace.